When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works or others in the book world about their roles, what those roles entail, and the books they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Thanks to the individuals that have joined my Patreon group as page turners. I am thrilled to chat books with you and greatly appreciate the support. If you have not joined yet and want to learn more, the link is in my bio. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring this podcast through December. I want to give everyone the heads up that I will be running some extra episodes this week because I am taking off next week to go on vacation with my family. So no episodes will run next week, and then I will be back on a regular schedule the week of August 9th. Today, I am interviewing Meg Tilly about The Runaway Heiress. Meg may be best known for her acclaimed Golden Globe-winning performance in the movie Agnes of God. Other screen credits include The Big Chill, Valmont, and more recently, Bomb Girls and the Netflix movie War Machine starring Brad Pitt. After publishing six standout young adult and literary women's fiction novels, the award-winning author and actress decided to write the kind of books she loves to read, romance novels. Tilly has three grown children and resides with her husband in the Pacific Northwest. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with Meg, and I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Welcome, Meg. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? I am wonderful, too, and I'm so excited to speak with you about The Runaway Heiress. Oh, good. Yay. Why don't we start out with you talking a little bit about the book? Just give me a quick summary for those that won't have read it yet. Okay. So this happened, uh, The Runaway Heiress came about because I had written a book called Hidden Cove that's part of the Solace Island series, and all my readers kept writing and saying, what happened to Mary? What happened to Mary? And um, please, Mary wants a story. So I did Mary's story, but she's a standalone book because it doesn't take place on Solace Island. And Mary, her name in that book was Mary Browning, but her real name is Sarah Rainsford. And she's an heiress who's been on the run from her abusive husband, Lieutenant Kevin Hawkins, for four years. And he's determined to do whatever it takes to have Sarah and her inheritance back under his thumb. And so she gets a new name, fake ID papers from the new name, which was Mary Browning. And she lands a job as personal assistant to Hollywood's golden boy movie director, Mick Talford. But 
Is she finally safe in this exclusive, moneyed enclave of Mulholland Hills, or has she thrust Mick into the crosshairs of the deadly danger that stalks her? (laughs) Well, and Kevin is quite persistent. He is. Oh, so you've read the book. I have read the book. My, as you can tell, my my hardest thing is to do a short little like, okay, this is what it's about because that's why I write novels. <laughs> Absolutely, and I try to keep the interview spoiler free, you know, for the yeah. most part, so that people yeah. can listen ahead of time or listen afterwards. But I think there are certain things, like obviously, it probably people figure out that that part of the story is she's trying to stay hidden, but yes. um, Kevin is not wanting her to stay hidden. Yes. <laughs> yep. That that sums it up much nicer. No, not at all. I thought you did a great job, but I loved Mick. So tell me your inspiration oh. for Mick. Okay, so Mick came about in a in an unusual way. I didn't know where Sarah was going to end up, but he came about. It just all of a sudden I thought she ended up there and I just kept on thinking, Mick, he's a combination of a very, very famous actor I know who had this kind of irreverent glee and was kind of a bad boy of Hollywood and had a similar background, a little bit different. So I used that as a kicking off place, except for then um, Mick was determined to be his own person and he ended up taking on all this other. So what really intrigued me about him was that he appears to be one thing to the world and carries that persona, but the persona weighs heavy around his shoulders. And she sees reluctantly underneath it to the to who he really is and where the brashness comes from. It's I love him. I love I love him and I love their relationship and I love her. I just I just love how she's so going to do what it takes to stay safe and is so smart and tries to be ahead of things and everything and takes no guff. And I just love how he's just, I just love (laughs) (laughs) I did too, actually. I thought they were both fantastic characters and I really liked their relationship and I cheered for her and I just really grew to like him a lot. I mean, even from the beginning, I liked him, but just the more you get to know him, the more you like him. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Because in the beginning, you're like, dude, come on, you know, (laughs) get it together. Yeah. yeah, But then you're like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, no, I agree. You're just like, oh, and I just like the way you drew them together and the way the story unfolded and just all of it. It was a lot of fun to read. Oh, thank you so much. So you started out as an actor and did quite well, and then you became a writer. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Okay. So what it was, was I didn't know I was a writer. I, I'm one of those people who, so I didn't get to go to third grade for all of third grade because my mom had a baby. And so I had to stay home and take care of the baby. And then I didn't go to most of fourth grade. I was able to go for two months and something happened at school and I was pulled out. And so I didn't have most of third and fourth grade. So I lost a huge hunk of that kind of basic core learning where you learn about nouns and verbs and adjectives and what that means. So I was kind of doing catch up for the rest of my school life. And so because I'd been pulled out, I felt like I wasn't one of the smart ones. So when people would talk about it, I would fake it and I would be able to write things, but I wouldn't know what the different names of things were. 
So much so that if if somebody's like, oh, it's easy, a verb is blah, 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 it would be kind of like a wah, wah, rushing in my ears. <laughs> right. Like, you know, that kind of like where you start getting that sweat, like uh, people are going to find out, I don't know, people are going to. So I never, ever, I didn't learn how to do phonics or any of those things. So I never, ever would have crossed my mind that I could be a writer, that I was a writer. And I remember the first time, so much so that I, and I'm a bad speller because I have a little bit of dyslexia, so much so that I would only write letters to my family who knew that, you know, who went like my sisters and my mom and my grandmother. That was it. I just, I wouldn't write to people. So then what happened is I was an actress and I had, I got successful quite, you know, I was very lucky with that. And I remember one day I was sitting in the acting class with Peggy Fury, who was an amazing teacher. And she taught so many wonderful actresses. Michelle Pfeiffer studied with her, um, Sean Penn, Eric Stoltz, the one who does Grace, Frankie and Grace. Oh, uh, Jane Fonda and uh, Lily. Um... Lily, yes. And um, Angelica Houston. I mean, she was an amazing, amazing teacher. And she taught me so much about myself, about life. And I guess that's where the questioning started happening in terms of my life and the person I was presenting, the public person, and the person who I really was hiding underneath. Hence, Mick. I think in all of my books, there's somebody who people have an idea about, but underneath they feel like, oh, if you really knew you'd run screaming, because that's what I grew up with and lived with for a very long time until my outside person matched my inside person. So in questioning and discovering characters and diving into their skin, I actually started looking, holding that mirror up to myself as well and acknowledging oh here here is something i'm not dealing with or there is and then i remember one day uh, it was shortly before peggy died around i don't know maybe 6 months before we nobody knew she was sick and nobody knew she was going to have the car crash we were in the class and she was uh, critiquing a scene and she sits down at she would sit down and she had rummage in her purse and while she watched the scene and and then she would get up and she would give a brilliant tell them where they went off what they needed to do i mean she was amazing and she was doing that she was walking around this the stage area and all of a sudden she stopped and she said hold on a minute hold on a minute i just thought of something and it's important and she turned around and she looked at all of us who were in the stand like in the seats of the theater and she said you you are a writer and I looked around because I thought, surely she can't be talking to me. <laughs> you know, like nobody knows these secrets about me, these deep, dark secrets. Like I'm the furthest thing from a writer that you've ever, ever met or seen. So I was looking around. She goes, Meg, I'm talking to you. And I was like, oh, ha, ha. <laughs> you know, I just smiled like, yeah, yeah. But thinking, oh, she doesn't know. And I felt like a fraud. And and I felt like, and then after she died, I, I felt ashamed. Like I should have told her, oh, no, I, I'm not a writer. I just, I, but I, I did, I felt like, and then I was scared that if she thought I was a writer, she said, the way you think, she said, you are a writer. And I thought if she knew, then maybe what she thought that I'm a really good actress, because she, she really took me under her wing, is not true as well. And I suck as an actress too. Oh, no. I know. But then it was like, Several years after, and I missed her terribly, and I didn't even think about that until later, all of a sudden, 
I, I just got, to, when the children got to the point I was when my stepdad came into our life and everything changed uh, horribly wrong, I started seeing myself in their little sunshine faces turned up towards me and I couldn't move forward. And I was having a real hard time being around my, my mom and playing the fairy fairy tale, happy ever after, whitewashed version of my life. And so I just thought, well, I'll just, I'm just going to write down my, I'm going to write down this memory, you know, and my first memory was, you know, when two of my stepsisters were punished and had to live in the doghouse. And the doghouse was really little and how they got, you know, they got beaten every morning and night and, and oh only gosh. had peanut butter sandwiches and how we were made to stand in front and eat treats in front of them. And it was really hard to do. And it, I would cry while I did it. And I, so I just wrote it down like, oh, just to write it down. And then and then I wrote down another memory and another. And, and so then that became my first book. And I didn't know it was going to be a book. It was just memories, but then they wouldn't stay in the drawer. And so then I just wrote more memories. And then I told my acting agent, I said, I don't know. I'm writing all these. I thought they were short stories. I thought nobody will know it's me, but it just felt so good to, to write the truth rather than you know, to write the actual truth of my memories. And then my agent said, well, I know a literary agent. Um, I can put you in touch with her. I'll ask her if she'll talk to you. And so then she said, she called me back. She said, she'll talk to you. So I called and her name was Charlotte Sheedy. And I talked to her and she was a big, she, she still is a big, amazing literary agent in New York. And I called and I and she said, all right. She said, she had a really gruff voice. She said, listen, I'll read your short stories, but the only uh, thing is, is I'm not going to bullshit you. You know, I'm not going to waste your time or my time, you know, encouraging you. You know, I won't make it so you never walk again, but if you're prepared for the truth, I'm happy to read them. And that's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I think that's okay. (laughs) I I was really scared, but I just felt like they refused to stay in my drawer. So I got a typewriter and I taught myself how to type. And I typed these things up. I got actually not just a typewriter. It was a word processor. Those like Epson ones or whatever they were where you flip down the keyboard. And yes, I remember those. Yeah, you can for on like, I think it was just like you could change a page if you read it. So I had my dictionary, you know, so that I wouldn't, you know, I could get it. So I, I, it took a few days to, to figure out how to do it and to carefully painstakingly type it up. Because of the dyslexia, I was a terrible typer, but I managed with this word processor and I sent them off. And so then I, I sent them off Federal Express because I didn't know you weren't. In those days, you weren't supposed to do it. You're supposed to do regular mail because I found out later, you know, agents are too busy to be opening and signing Federal Express. But I sent it <laughs> Federal Express. And then around uh, four or five days later, the phone rang. I was living in this little cabin in the woods and I ran and got it. And she goes, Meg. It's Charlotte. She said, I read your pieces and I couldn't stop thinking about them all night. Couldn't sleep. They made me weep. She said, you're a writer. Keep writing. And I said, oh, okay. And my heart was pounding and I got like all flushed because it was the first time I wrote the truth uh, about things. And so I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So she said, now a collection of short stories, you have to have at least a hundred pages. So write some more, more short stories. So I wrote more memories (laughs) that were called short stories, right? With the names changed. So then I got to 100 pages and I sent her off and she goes, she calls me back. She goes, they're brilliant. 
Oh my God, they're brilliant. She said, all right, but the problem is these short stories, they seem to all be around about the same family. She said, it's not short stories, it's a novel. You need 200 pages minimum for a novel nowadays. <laughs> so I was like, oh, so she kind of just tricked me to write the whole thing. I, I don't know if she knew it was me or I kind of had an idea it was or not. And so then um, I sold my first book as uh, fiction. But then when I got the galleys, it said, all these are fake. They're uh, made up people, figments of my own, own imagination, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, oh dear. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> so then I called my editor and I said, um, there's a little bit of a problem. I mean, I've got different names, but these aren't, this isn't fiction because I'm not a writer. This is just my memories. And she's like, oh no. <laughs> so then we um, met in San Francisco. It's Carol DeSanti. And we brought a, uh, what was it? An atlas and uh, a name book. And I changed names and I added a child at the top and took away a child at the end and changed physical characteristics and changed locations. And then we called it uh, fiction. And so that was my first book. And then I wrote a bunch of manuscripts between that and Gemma, which was 10 years later, learning how to write fiction. So I took writing classes and I went to workshops and I had writers groups uh, that I went to weekly, a couple of those. And and I just uh, learned how to write fiction. So I wrote up um, many more manuscripts that will never see the light of day because I didn't like exploding a bomb in the middle of my life with the first book. And so um, then Gemma was an answer to the, so it's darker material because I still had things to say. So that came out of a writing workshop thing where we had to write from the other people we had judgment about. And so that's where I, I wrote that one. So that came out and then somebody asked me if I'd write, uh, be interested in writing a YA. So I wrote a couple of those. And then I wrote a couple that I was like, oh, but this is all such hard stuff. And I want to make people happy. And I love the little kids that came to my thing. So I wrote a couple middle grade. And then I finally found my way to the golden chalice of writing romantic suspense, which is actually what I enjoy reading. I enjoy reading. I enjoy romance and I enjoy romantic suspense. And Yes, you know, I spent years writing, reading and, you know, writing more literary and every once in a while I do. But once I had children and the life was so scary and I was terrified, I wanted something where even if people went through challenge, I knew that it was going to turn out in the end. And I knew that good was going to win over evil because in life that doesn't happen. I mean, not always, at least the evil that was in my life. And so that's how I got to writing this you know, and I love it. I just love it. Well, you're really good at the pacing and oh. obviously creating the characters as we've talked about. But back to that first book, one, is that sort of how you were able to get your outer facing self and your inner yes. or your, your outer looking self and your inner looking self to kind of jibe? I mean, was yes. that what it took to do that for you? And was it such a relief when you reached that stage? It was a relief and it was absolutely terrifying. You know, it was a relief because I didn't have to carry this sec these secrets anymore. It's sort of like um, all my life, actually, even after that point, it was like somebody's throwing their sh their shit at you, and you're just like, oh, oh, and you you uh, instead of like being like, hey, now, uh, no, thank you, that belongs in your lap, that's yours to carry, not mine. I'm not going to walk around. Smeared with your stuff, 
Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, with your stuff all thrown all over me where it's weighing me down versus weighing you down. Weighing weighing me down. And I'm scared to let anybody know who I really am because of your stench. Like that's not okay. And, and you feel like that's, it's not your burden to carry. So that's what I say to people out there is that it just really isn't. And we just have to put that off and say, no, thank you. And, and be able to stand tall in, I am me. And I don't, it wasn't even so much. I mean, yes, I was scared. Other people would judge me for what they thought if they knew what I came from, but it was also more than that. It was that I judged myself, right? Right. So that we we become our own worst critics or abusers in a way, perpetuating what was done to us as children or as women, because it doesn't just stop as a child. It continues on. It's like you have a little radar thing that's going beep, 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 and other people who are damaged glom onto you until you learn to say, uh-uh, no. And you make a vow, like what I did is I made a vow to my four-year-old child that I would protect her and that, you know, I when something hard comes up that I have to ha- handle, I imagine her little hand tucked in my hand and her little sunflower face turned up to mine and I become, then I become fierce and I don't let people do that to me anymore. And I don't let, I, I stand in my truth, you know, which might not be somebody else's truth. But I, that's the way I have to walk in the world. I just, I just have to. And once I was able to, yes, then it's like, okay, I had to do Gemma as well, which my daughter pointed out when I was on book tour. She goes, mama, did you ever notice that uh, Gemma spells M Meg backwards? Oh, wow. (laughs) And I didn't know. But, you know, I did give her some of, it was kind of like my answer to, that type of person that Hazen was that had tromped through our life. And it was also wanting to give skills to people to say, you know, when things like, uh, you know, Elizabeth Smart or people like that came back into the world, people like, well, she was out there in public. Why didn't she say anything? People have no idea. People have no idea what people go through and what kind of things have been done and what kind of punishments have been handed out if you break from the party line. You like they don't understand the constant drip, drip, drip that you're trained with, right? So it's like read this and then have judgment, people. You know, and I also did some of my not that I had like what she had, but I had my own stuff, right? But but also I used some of my tricks, like Gemma travel. I did that all the time. Like when I was hungry, I would just imagine. Like I remember being on the school bus and all the kids trading off their, you know, hostess Twinkies and their potato chips and noshing on treats, you know, and I would always just pretend like, oh, no, I, 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 I'm I, on a diet or, oh, I, I don't really like that kind of stuff. You know, I, I just love my peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best treat ever. So it was like, or something that we we cooked up or whatever. But so I just shut my eyes and just imagine like a big plate of spaghetti with meat sauce and with Parmesan cheese. And I would, I would spool it in my head and I would eat it and I would taste it. And, and I would be full by the time I, you know, by the time I opened my eyes. And so I thought that's a really good, you know, so some, in all my books, I give out really good skill sets. Like even in the romantic suspense, you know, the women, like I'll always put, cause I've taken a lot of self-defense as another part of the step towards finding, you know, my own uh, way of uh, walking in the world. 
And so I'll, I'll put like something of like, what do you do to protect your windpipe? Like in this one, you know, well, I right. can't tell you, I'm not going to, I'm giving it away, <laughs> but you know, in all of them, you're going to find, you're going to find some things where the, the characters all have a bit of me in them, you know? Well, I like that. And I mean, first, I'm so sorry, because that all just sounds horrific for a child. Aww. And that is wonderful. I think people can go two ways most of the time when those things happen. They either repeat the cycle mm-hmm. or they do what you have done and say, no way am I going to pass that on to my people, you know? Yes. And so that's wonderful that you were, you know, strong enough and understood what was going on and and took the bull by the horns and and cleared it up as best you could yeah. for yourself. Yeah, you do. Uh, right. I mean, you can't completely move on. But how did your family do when you wrote oh, that book? It wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't think it was. <laughs> it wasn't fun. And I, you know what? The thing is, is that I was just, I was at that age and my children and feeling so protective and like, no, this is wrong. But I, I in hindsight, would I have published the book like me now at 61? Was that fair of me to just like be like, I'm telling the truth. Like, yes, I did. I did say it was fiction, you know, for many, many years until, you know, Gemma came out. And then I'm like, okay, I've tried to fix the family. I've tried to fix it. And I can't, but, you know, maybe speaking the truth and saying, hey, actually, this is my truth might help many people out there who are going through similar things in one way or another. And uh, so I, I just was like, okay, I'm just going to tell the truth. I think I was 41 or 42. And I was just tired of, of carrying it after. The burden. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after publishing it. And still, then I spent the next, <laughs> I spent the next like 10 years being terrified somebody would find out the truth. So then I, I did it, but I didn't do it. And it wasn't until I actually said it, but was it fair to other members of my family? Probably not. You know, that that's, I I was not just telling what happened to me. I was telling it through my eyes, but you know, I, I think I was just like, no, I need to do this. And so perhaps it was, uh, it was what I needed to do at the time. But in hindsight, I, I maybe have a few regrets, not about writing it or not about that I'm now a writer and I wouldn't have been if I hadn't, but that I inadvertently, you know, said things that other people would prefer not to have been out there because they have the right to their own choices as well. Right. So it's complicated. So I wish I could say, do it, everybody. (laughs) But (laughs) but I have to say there are, it's challenging. And uh, some people were relieved and some people weren't. So. Well, and I guess it also depends on exactly who you're talking about. Because I would think that the people causing the abuse or as an adult standing by and seeing the abuse don't really have a right to whether their story is told or not. But if it's siblings, then, you know, that's a different thing. And obviously, you know, that's a a long and involved story. But I do think that matters. But, you know, that that's so interesting because I wondered about Kevin. You know, he is just so dogged and with no spoilers, you know, he's Mm -hmm. just a horrible person. And he has the law behind him. And so he has access to databases and people and things and even, I guess, able to hide behind his badge. Yes. You know, that's terrifying. And that's really a timely thing right now, both the abuse, but also just, you know, police departments in general and some of the things that have been happening over the last however many years, you know, so it's it's interesting to include Kevin on your part, I thought. Well, yes. And that wasn't on purpose. He, that's just who showed up. And I think a, a, a multitude of things. I, I have a very close friend who's a Superior Court judge. And so, you know, we've known each other for 
20 some odd years and you hear stories but but on the other side there are many many really wonderful men and women in service who I am really happy that I can call a police officer if somebody's breaking into the house or if something bad's happening and when I was a child we lived in a place where there weren't police officers and I would have given anything to be able to go for help when really, really bad, scary things were happening. And I was scared for my brothers and sisters' lives to be able to run to a police station or to get to, because, you know, we didn't have a phone, but to get help instead of just going to the neighbor who's a little bit scared to come back to the house with me right. as I scrape, get out the window. So, so there are, you know, and my husband's uh, father was a, a cop in New York City. And he was he gave his life and sacrificed a lot to try to keep us safe. And yet there are also people, one of the people who lived next door to my husband when he was a kid was an abuser and he was a pedophile. And so you have both. I think in all professions, you have both. And that was just what came up. But it's not a statement on the men and women in uniform because many of them, are hardworking people who have families themselves who are doing a public service. And I think it must be a very challenging time to be a police officer right now. And yes, for the bad cops, and there are some, there there are bad, bad eggs, bad apples in every profession that I've been in. <laughs> Not that I've been I in that agree. many. Right. No, I agree. So so yes, but yes, he is a he is a lieutenant. So he's pretty high up. And the same thing that makes him so dogged in his pursuit of her and bending the rules probably also helped him get where he was. No, that's true. And certainly I was not speaking any kind of condemnation about police officers generally, because I think you're exactly right that there are bad eggs in every profession. Yeah. I just think that as there are in other walks of life also, him being a cop gives him access to things that you wouldn't have as a regular person. Yes. And it is a timely issue, but I think you're right. I mean, thank goodness we have police officers. I know. Like when someone's breaking into my home, in fact, that's even happened. I live in a small little neighborhood and one time I came home and my back door was open. Yes. And so I immediately called them and he came over and walked through my house to make sure that someone hadn't gotten in. And it was probably that my three kids were all young and I just somehow hadn't locked the door and it had blown open. But right. yes, I'm always great, very, very grateful that we have that support. Right, because it could have been that they were inside. Absolutely. And yes, you're right with the police. That's where when he when I was like, oh, that's what he is. It made it it made it more scary because he has access to all those things, which makes him a scarier antagonist. Right. Yeah. And the protection of mm-hmm. his job. You yes. know, so yes. he's able, he knows where they cover for each other. Right. Mm-hmm. They cover for each other, but also he has seen so many other people and what they do. And so he understands what to say, what not to say, what, what? to say right. she's doing. So I think it just kind of enables him. Certainly no no knocking of the police department. Well, yeah, and I just didn't want people, anyone to think I, because I actually have, I remember once uh, when my grandson was here and we didn't, we were doing something and I guess he had picked up the phone you know, and dialed 911 while we were sitting, I was sitting there in the same room reading a story to his, <laughs> his brother and the police showed up, you know, and, and no, and then they called right back and my husband got, he says, no, no, everything's, 
everything's fine. It was just our grandson, but they showed up anyway and they wanted to see the grandchildren and just make sure. Right. Everything and was okay. I was okay. so grateful because I thought, gosh, if, you know, if that was me and we had a phone, which we didn't, you know, and I called 911, I'd want them to show up too. I can't believe you didn't have a phone. No, no, we didn't have a phone. We didn't have a TV either. Well, I guess if you don't have a phone, you definitely don't have a TV. I would bet. <laughs> but I, I guess that's an isolating a way yeah. to isolate people. So no way to to know what's happening in the world and then no way to reach anybody. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, I went down this whole rabbit hole because I looked up your Instagram and then I watched some of your videos with you and then with you and your sister, Jennifer, which uh-huh. was very fun. But yeah. then you have this whole tea time thing on YouTube. Can you yes. tell me a little bit about it? I watched like five of them. Oh, and then I was like, oh. okay, I, I need to get ready for the interview. <laughs> But I had so much fun. I now have so many more to go back to. Can you tell me a little bit about it? So what happened was, is um, we were in the pandemic and my husband, you know, decided, okay, okay, uh, because it was, it was a scary time. Uh, And he decided that he was going to pick up the guitar, which he had played in high school a little bit, but you know, not well. And so he was just because he needed something to focus on. So he wouldn't because it, it, it was scary, you know, we're, we're in lockdown for yeah. 16 months. He's become such a good guitar player. But what he discovered is this thing called YouTube, which I didn't really, <laughs> you know, I didn't really know that much about. And he found all these great people who teach, teach guitar. And he just, he was so excited by it. He just, around a month, a couple months in, he's like, honey, honey, you should, you should do a YouTube channel. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh, no way. Not me, but thanks, honey. He goes, but you'd be really good at it. I said, honey, what am I going to do? He goes, you just talk. He said, people like it when you just talk. And I was like, uh, well, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I'm busy writing. And, and But thank you. That's nice of you. But he, he kept on it. And then, you know, I just said, no, I'm definitely not. And then a few more months in, then I'd had a really good day writing and I'd gotten four pages, which I never get. Like four pages is the golden chalice for me because I'm a very slow writer. Even though I spend the hours in the seat, it my fingers go slow and my thoughts because I go back and rewrite and then go forward. So I was feeling pretty invincible and I was on the treadmill and he was on the cross trainer and he started his YouTube thing again. And I'm like, sweetie. I thought, I just got to nip this in the bud right now and just be more definitive about it. And I said, sweetie, I said, look, I don't want to have to get dressed up. And he goes, oh, no, you don't have to. I, he said, people do YouTubes and old T-shirts. Like, like they, people don't. I said, well, I, I don't want to have to put on makeup. You don't. He said, you don't. You just, you just show up. You sit down and you talk. I said, but then I'd have to brush my hair. And he goes, you don't have to. I'm like, Right. But, but also we'd gotten to the point, it was July, July 6th, I think, or 7th. We'd gotten to the point where, you know, it's like, okay, so not only are you trying to keep your own worries at bay, but, but as you know, you're trying to keep your children, you're trying to keep your, you know, my children weren't here, but, but him, you want to keep him entertained and the worries at bay. Right. And I thought, well, he seems so intent on this. And so like, like this really is something that would be wonderful, a gift to the world. People are isolated and to just have somebody sit down and chat and it, it would be cozy. And I'm like, well, okay, I'll just tape one. So I said, really? I don't have to do any of these things? He goes, no, believe me, on YouTube, people just roll out of bed and they, they post the things. So I'm like, okay. 
So I said, let's go. I said, I, oh, and I said, I don't want to do the electronical stuff because I can't do that. And he's like, I'll post it. I'll do it. I'll do the, I'll do the, you know, titles. And because I hate coming up with titles. I'll do the titles. So marched upstairs. I'm sweaty from exercising. I have to confess, I hadn't showered that day. <laughs> and um, maybe the day before. I don't know. But, and I was wearing an old bratty t shirt that was, I had gotten from my sister as a hand me down at least 20 years ago. And I don't know how long she had had it. So it was all saggy around the neck and it had holes at the belly, you know, where you get those holes in the t-shirts after you've worn them for a while and drawstring pants. And my hair is just, I didn't have makeup. I had my, you know, and I just said, okay, put it up there. So he put it up on the tripod, the phone, and we taped it with packing tape from a moving trip that we had had when we'd moved. And then I just sat down and I talked for, you know, six, seven minutes. And I'm like, there. And I thought I was calling his bluff because I thought he'd look at it and say, oh, no, we can't do that. But he <laughs> said, great, this is great. And he posted it. <laughs> and then, and so then I just started doing it. And what I didn't realize is that um, YouTubers actually do wear, do makeup and fancy oh. <laughs> outfits. But he was just watching old grotty musicians, right? <laughs> okay that's hilarious i know so i didn't discover that actually until just a couple of months ago and i'm like wait a minute <laughs> now i've got to dress up and brush my hair <laughs> well i do i do brush my sometimes sometimes i'm just in my pajamas but whatever well they're a ton of fun so I was very excited that I discovered them. And I'm like, I've got to ask her about this. I have just started doing what they call audiograms for my podcast, where huh. you run just like a minute, a minute and a half of the interview, like a snippet, uh -huh. and you put it on like Twitter and Facebook and, uh -huh. you know, to kind of let somebody listen. Yeah. And then people keep suggesting putting them on YouTube. So I've just uh -huh. begun putting them on YouTube also to kind of then direct people to the rest of the episode. Oh, wow. And so that I have just figured out YouTube myself in the last two weeks. Then I was like, oh, good. I actually have an account so I could subscribe to Meg's. Oh, wow. Well, you know, you could actually also, since you're already talking to people, you could do video as well. I could. I do edit some. Oh, and yeah. so, you know, then it really requires so more much time. more to edit video than yeah. edit audio. You sound like me. Because I'm like, okay, it's, enough, it's sort of yeah. enough. It taxes my time enough to just get this out the door. Yeah. But I know that people are doing more of that. So yeah. I may kind of think about it even just periodically instead of having to make them all audio or all video, you know, like that big a decision. I could just every once in a while say, okay, I'll do a video one and put it up. So how did, how did you come up with doing uh, the Thoughts from a Page podcast? Like where, when did you decide and how did you, what, what was the aha moment for you? Well, that's so funny as you were describing your tea time aha moment uh -huh. because I launched about three weeks before you did. So Whoa. I live in Houston and I host a literary salon here in Houston that's in person, you know, uh -huh. pre-pandemic. And we would bring two authors together maybe eight times a year and I would interview them at the salon. Uh -huh. And people kept saying, you should make this a podcast, you know, like interview uh -huh. authors more often. You like it. You know, it's something that's a lot of fun. People enjoy listening. And I never had the time. And I was the same way, you know, March hit, yeah. April hit, and I'm yeah. constantly scrolling the news and I'm you know, having yeah. to pull myself off the ceiling because I'm so stressed and yeah. my kids are old enough that they didn't really need my help for the most part. Right. And I was like, I need something to do. So I decided, you know what, maybe I will look at that podcast idea. And I did a lot of research because I'm super type A. So I did all this research and kind of got everything ready. And then I launched in June. So yeah, kind of the same wow. idea that you had. Isn't it amazing? So something that's such a, like, that's how I see my childhood as well. Something that's 
on the outset is a curse, like a challenge, like real difficult and like, oh my gosh, it's, there always is something else that like I never maybe would have become as empathetic or maybe I wouldn't have had the understanding of my characters or maybe I wouldn't have gone to acting where I could discover who I was through somebody else's skin. Like if the pandemic hadn't happened, the thoughts from a page podcast wouldn't be, or maybe it would, maybe eventually you would anyway, even though, or I don't think so. Or, you know, I wouldn't have done the cozy tea time, you know? It's the the silver lining, I think. I think you have to hold on to those things because if not, you're not going to get through yeah. some of these things. And for me, it's been a, a such yes. a blessing. Like I was excited about, about it, it, but I had no idea how much fun it would be. Like I would have never, yeah. ever dreamt that I would be speaking to Meg Tilly. So I have to say, you know, that there's things yeah. like that that I'm like, okay, if I hadn't done this, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be here now. So, you know, it, it's really fun. And I've read so many books I wouldn't have yeah. read. And, talk to so many different authors yeah. and just, it's been a really fun thing. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. So thank you for asking. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you have read and loved. Okay. Well, what I'm reading right now is um, Mary Bly's Lizzie and Dante. So Mary Bly's the real name of the author, Eloise James, but this is her, this is like a women's, a commercial women's fiction, more of a literary book. And, oh man, I had read a, manuscript, an earlier draft of the manuscript a couple of years ago. And so now I'm reading the I'm reading the finished copy and it's so beautiful. It just makes me um it's so embraceive of life. Like uh Lizzie is ill, but it's sort of and she's sort of pulling into making her life smaller so that it won't be so hard when she finally lets go. And then life just says no here. And she's, it just opens up. And I think that that's like the, the beauty of it is this opening, this like tight bud, this tight held bud. And it just, she just slowly blossoms and, and Dante's there with his food and his cooking and just like, and Etta's there who's the daughter. And it's just this, thing that it sounds like, oh, it might be too much to read, but it isn't because the the thing is, and I've never actually read uh, something that does it quite like this, is that it makes you say now, like it's much more tactile about the food, about the taste, about the sun, about the smells. It's, it's like life forces Lizzie to live, right? It, it, to, to, it's hard to describe. It reminds me a little bit. There's something about it that reminds me a little bit about, I don't know. I'm, I'm really, well, I'm dating myself anyway, because everybody knows how old I am. But there was this movie way back in the, I think, 90s called Enchanted April, where these women go from cold and England and it's rainy and they go to Italy because this takes place in, on Elba, the island of Elba, and, and the warmth seeps into their bodies and their bones. And then they just start shedding, you know, and blossoming and just being. And, and, and that's what this is. It's a, uh, so I'm really, really enjoying that. I'm looking forward very much to um, Susan Elizabeth Phillips' book, which comes out in, at the end of the month, When Stars Collide. I'm really looking forward to reading that. And I just read Jane Ann Krentz's new book. So those are the books that I'm reading right now, which she wrote as Amanda Quick. And, oh, gosh, the name has just zipped out of my head. That's okay. I can find it later. And I, I have liked her Amanda Quick books. 
I oh haven't read gosh. them in a while, but I read a couple of the early ones. And I didn't realize that Eloise James was writing under a pseudonym. That's interesting. Eloisa James is her pseudonym. And oh. yes, her real name is Mary Bly. Oh. And she's actually, uh, did you ever know uh, her dad it wrote Iron John? Um, Robert Bly or something like that. Okay. He was very famous in the men's movement. Okay. And he's a poet and her mom was a writer, an essayist. And so she comes from a very literary family and she teaches, you know, she's a chair at Fordham University and she's done all this stuff, but she, she also wrote historical, but this is her, her, it took her four years to write. And so, uh, but there's also a beautiful blossoming romance at the core of it, but it's different. And Dante's a chef, so you're going to really want food when you read it. Just the descriptions of food is are, are just beautiful. So don't so. read it hungry, right? <laughs> or yeah, read it hungry. Or do you read it hungry? Do you do that? I do that. I'll I'll do like if I'm reading something and they're eating donuts, I'm like, oh, I crave it, and then I want donuts. Or if I'm writing about something and my characters eat something, then I have to go downstairs and make it. <laughs> so you can only write about the things you know you have in your house, <laughs> or, or you can make, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, Meg, thank you so much for your time. I am just thrilled to pieces to get to speak with you, and I'm glad that you came on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Oh, thank you, and, uh, and congratulations on Thoughts from a Page. I'm gonna. Do you have subscribers? That is that what you do? So that or you just listen? You ha- you listen, but you can subscribe on various platforms, kind of depending on where you. If you listen to podcasts where you listen, so like Apple has a platform. I think you, they've converted it to follow now. I think Spotify, you can subscribe. It it depends on where you are. And then I have a website. So you can always just pull up the website and look at the different people and see if any appeal. Okay. Well, it'll be a great thing to do while I'm exercising. Not that I'm exercising right now, but I'm going to start. (laughs) That's actually what I do. I listen to them while I exercise or while I walk, you know, and it's a good way to to go through them because there's a few that I follow that I really like. And that's when I usually try to listen to them. Oh, wonderful. Good. Well, thank you again, Meg. Okay. Thank you, Cindy. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep. Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, 
toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) (laughs) Right.